Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast. Uh, we are going to finish our look at the Strayer text here in Chapter 15 with our uh, looking or exploration of the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment uh, for a bit. So uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of uh, different things here uh, because uh, the scientific revolution is going to deal more with science while the Enlightenment is going to deal more with philosophy and morality and, and social conditions. Um, we're going to be covering a lot of people. There are a lot of big names that you should hopefully know from history in this uh, and, and hopefully have an idea of what they're doing. So um, first off, we have to start with the scientific revolution. That's the thing that comes first. It comes out of the Renaissance. Uh, the main guy that kind of sets off the scientific revolution is Copernicus, and he can sometimes be tied to uh, the uh, Renaissance as well, uh, because the values that we see in the Renaissance continue through to the scientific revolution. So, uh, starting things off here, though, uh, why why does this thing happen here in Europe? What what makes Europe the hotbed for these kinds of ideas to understand the world better? Well, one, remember, Europe is fractured, so you have all these different groups competing with each other to try to prove how they're better than the other. And also, uh, because it's not united, they can't uh, quash ideas as easily as you might be able to in a more centralized, authoritative type of state. Uh, then you've got universities. Uh, you've got ones that have been around since around 1000 uh, CE. So they've been well established for about 500 years, 600 years. And they have become places for academics to speak and to to come up with new ideas and not just uh, continue with the old ideas. So they became areas to, to think about these things and places where you wouldn't get punished for thinking about it. And uh, they, they really start to focus on things like uh, natural orders and natural philosophies and looking at how the world works. And then um, uh, we see this not happening in, in the Islamic uh, empires, uh, partially because of a shift in them after the Abbasid Caliphate that pushes away science and stuff like that, uh, but also because um, madrasas or the universities in um, is Islam don't really push to this kind of thinking and stuff like that. And China's focus is more on the civil service system and Confucianism, and you don't need to go look at any of the stars for all that uh, the, the astronomical things, um, they're more into astrology and, and those types of things. And then, um, one other reason why Europe has this, uh, we could also talk about the, the India, why, why is the South Asia not in it? Just to add them in here for a second. Uh, again, they were controlled by the Mughals and, um, they are a highly divided region like, or a highly diverse region like Western Europe is, or just Europe. Uh, but, not as uh, they don't have the competition in the same way looking to understand the universe and show who's better and and come up with that stuff and uh, the last major region reason is Europe is if we remember at the end of this uh, the last time period um, Europe is getting all these technologies and they're improving on them and making them better uh, but they're also reaping the benefits all of all of them at around the same time where they're at least starting to see how they can use all of them and so you see that happening too um now the scientific revolution uh we need to go into kind of what that was and how that worked and how it really changes the culture of europe because uh, that's the biggest thing it does uh so before um before the revolution 
you have this idea that the Earth is in the center of the solar system uh, and everything revolves around the Earth. Everything in the solar system outside of Earth is perfect. Uh, nothing is, is blemished, so uh, everything is a perfect sphere. It goes in a perfect circle. And really, that's kind of where the heavens are and stuff like that. And um, it's uh, that's kind of the basics. And what happens is you that that gets shattered by these new scientific discoveries. Um, they've been figuring out that their calendars are getting off because they don't have the right years and they're not seeing things in the right places at the right times, those being planets and stars. And so they finally start to... Um, uh, to, to question things and wonder is this really the way that the planets go so it used to be believed that the planets were around the earth in in a circular pattern perfectly circle um, but then uh, they noticed things didn't line up right so then they said these uh, planets did little uh, loops in their path around uh, the earth to try to make up for that and even those weren't working so then you get a dude named Copernicus uh, who says you know what it's probably actually not the case that we're in the center. Uh, although it looks like that because of our point of reference on the planet that's moving around um, the solar system. So it looks like everything goes around us, but that's not really the case. And so he says, you know what, that big ball of fire up in the sky is probably it. And so he says the sun is that, and then everything goes around the sun. And lo and behold, that actually kind of worked out in the models. It wasn't perfect. Um, he didn't. He wasn't right on perfect spheres. They were ellipses. Um, and we'd find that out with Galileo and Kepler and, and uh, eventually uh, Newton would prove it all with his theories on gravity. Uh, but we see that shift. And that's put some chinks in the armor of the church in being that they, uh, in the idea that the church knows all or how everything kind of works. Um, Kepler then, uh, I kind of already said that, Kepler adds on to that. Galileo, uh, famous for the telescope, he didn't invent it, but he did help modify it and make it better. Uh, he... Uh, uh, did a lot of observations that proved these points, uh, as well as proved that the the outside universe wasn't perfect spheres. Uh, you can look at the moon, and we know the moon isn't a perfect sphere looking at it because of all the craters that we can see, but um, you can really see them really well with a telescope. And then um, Newton adds on to that with his gravity. Uh, also, a cool thing that links Newton and Galileo together is, is uh, Galileo figures out that uh, objects fall at the same rate, uh, if they're the same size, have the same surface area, even if they have different weights. So if you take a, a, um, a we could just say a, a basketball or whatever uh, filled with air, and then you take a ball that is filled with concrete that's the same size, if you drop them from a, a height at the same exact time, they're going to hit the ground at the same exact time. Um, so cool little thing uh, about that. Uh, some other scientists that you get are, are a guy named Rene Descartes. He's also a philosopher. Um, he's the famous guy that said, I think, and therefore I am. Um, this is a famous line, but the, really the big thing to, to remember him for is he's one of the fathers of the scientific theory, along with a dude named Sir Francis Bacon. Uh, they both come up with the idea that you need to make some observations and then come up with a hypothesis. With that hypothesis, then you create an experiment to try that out. And then with that experiment... You collect the data, and then you make a determination of whether your hypothesis was right or not. If it's right, you get to pat yourself on the back. If it's wrong, you go back and try and try more stuff. Um, now, that might not seem relevant to history here, uh, but it's super relevant. One, uh, it leads to all the future scientific discoveries, uh, or at least becomes the basis for, I shouldn't say it leads to all of them, but it, it's the basis of how to prove all those discoveries, 
as well as it's what guides social sciences as well. That's why it's called social science and history is a part of that, and that you uh, will make hypotheses based on observations about how humans act or what happened in history or whatever the case may be, and then you go and find data through experimentation or through research to prove that. And so it's not the exact same. It's a little less objective as science is because humans do crazy things and are illogical at times. But um, you, you, you have that, or you have uh, that being pushed for in this area of life. <coughs> now, uh, you also get things in the scientific revolution, not just looking at the planets, but also looking at how people uh, function. And so you get people doing anatomy, uh, and coming up with anatomy, so the famous dude is a guy named Vesalius there, showing how the muscles work. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci had kind of started that, but um, it gets better. And the more you dissect things, the more you understand the body. The more you understand the body, the better you can treat things. So instead of bloodletting and using leeches, they go, ah, you know what, That's, those probably aren't the best. And they come up with some other solutions. And uh, that leads us then to today with what we have. Um, as well, um, you have the... Um, you have some female figures in this, but they don't play a huge role. Um, you got like Margaret uh, Cavendish and Mariah Winkleman, uh, but um, they don't have a significant impact, again, because of the culture of the time being patriarchal, trying to push those down, but you do have some new ideas coming out uh, from the other side or from the other gender. So... Uh, towards the end of this, when we get to Isaac Newton, he's the transition piece to what we would say is where the scientific revolution ends and where the Enlightenment begins. And um, this really coincides with with a new view and outlook on uh, politics uh, and philosophy. And so you see a lot more um, societies coming up to kind of argue these things, whether it's science or other philosophical ideas on What's the best kind of economy? What's the best kind of government? So now we start to see that transition from using the um, scientific method for science to social studies, as I mentioned, is what we do today. So uh, some famous people here are guys like Adam Smith, who comes up with the idea of capitalism, or at least uh, formally argues what capitalism is. Uh, in his book, The Wealth of Nations, you have other um, philosophers like uh, John Locke, who argues that a that um, democratic governments are a better form of government, while his uh, contemporary that believed the opposite in England was Thomas Hobbes, who said absolute monarchies are the best form. Um, you get people like Voltaire, who are critiquing every uh, every government and, and the religions and all the powers that be. You got guys like Immanuel Kant, uh, arguing for morality. Uh, you have famous... Uh, Philosophers like Mary Wollstonecraft arguing for women's rights. Um, and not that they want to be better than men, but that they want to have uh, the same rights as men. Um, <coughs> but even with things like that, men are still viewed as superior to women. Um, you do have more women speaking out because there are more opportunities for them. They can be a part of the salons. And there are some women, uh, wealthy women, that have uh, some of the uh, host some of the greatest salons and with the greatest uh, philosophical philosophical thinkers at the time um, so uh, you see things like the journal des dames in France um, where it's a women's journal um, you see uh, again Mary Wollstonecraft fighting for equality and you, you again you begin to see some progress uh, through these 
women in these figures and these ideas, you'll eventually see a women's rights movement come up and about from it, uh, fighting for equality in, in government and representation when we're talking about the dem democracies that come up like the United States. Um, we'll see some women during this time arguing that, uh, the most famous ones being like a, a Susan B. Anthony in a, in a, um, oh, what's John Adams' wife's name? Shoot. I should remember that. Um, but Jane, or John Adams' wife, um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I apologize. But, uh, you have them arguing for, for that, uh, for that equality in politics. And then... This enlightenment uh, will lead to then, when we get to the 18th century, or sorry, the 19th century, more scientific discoveries. So things like Darwin and the origin of species and evolution, uh, things like Marx um, with socialism, uh, and and you get other guys like Freud who come up with the the who are the fathers of psychology and things like that. So we see these ideas then coming up out of the ideas from the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, and um, the, it just it, it completely revolutionizes what's going on and, and the ideas um, going on and being spread uh, because the West isn't, isn't the same after this you see the church again uh, its stock starts to, to go down uh, again people don't become non-religious uh, but you see things being questioned more and, and more people pushing uh, away from things that the church is saying, or literally uh, what some of the, the claims of the church are. Um, whereas you didn't have that before, because you didn't have these things to, to go and question. You also didn't have the medium through books and stuff like that to critique it as much as well. Now, um, the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment don't just affect Europe. I mean, that's where the heavy-hitting uh, stuff is, but the telescope will go well beyond uh, Europe uh, and spread to the rest of the world. Um, the, uh, the the philosopher, the academic, the scholar, uh, Cao Zheng, uh, will uh, follow some of these ideas of the scientific revolution, bring in some of those, uh, the idea of um, the scientific method uh, to China. Um, Japan doesn't really participate in this. Uh, they stay out of it and stay away from it, although they do take in some of the ideas uh, with their trading with the Dutch, uh, but they, they aren't huge into it. Um, the Ottomans modify their calendar from these new things and um, really understand the patterns of the sun more because of this and how things are working. And um, the what's the last major thing that I have? can't really figure that out sorry I can't figure out what my last major note is that I had there um, but the the big thing here is that the scientific revolution and the enlightenment really are a Eurocentric uh, thing that happened it's going to affect the Americas some primarily though it's really only going to affect n North America with the 13 British colonies there uh, especially when we're talking about the enlightenment and people like Locke or um, others like Montesquieu and, and other Enlightenment thinkers that really try to challenge things and will eventually rebel and create their own country. That country and the ideas of the time will then spread to the rest of Latin America and the Caribbean and lead to those um, kingdoms or those regions then rebelling against their parent uh, country. 
or kingdom. And so we'll see that with Spain uh, being kicked out of places like uh, South America, uh, losing their colonies to uh, Simon Bolivar, uh, or Mexico eventually breaking away, although they don't use the Enlightenment as much as Simon Bolivar did. Or you got Haiti uh, bringing up some of these Enlightenment ideas and them breaking themselves breaking away. So you see them pulling into these things uh, within our next time period of the Age of Revolution. But um, it all needed to be set up. You need to have these ideas uh, starting to challenge things, and we see it slowly starting to challenge science or just how the world works, which then gets into challenging religion a little bit, which then leads you to challenging the government and the powers that be, and you'll eventually get those uh, major effects afterwards of challenging the governments, challenging uh, where humans came from and our understanding of humans, uh, challenging the social systems that we have and whether we should have those anymore, and uh, challenging how the human mind works. So we'll see all those things coming here in the next unit. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the main things with the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution to take away. And, and the big thing is just kind of remember that. It's, it's mainly in Western Europe that we see this happening. It does spread around the world, some of the ideas, but not significantly. Um, pretty much stays there, but it's going to be it's going to help the West get a leg up on the rest of the world when you implement things like capitalism, um, and uh, you you get more representative governments that get people buying in more and and becoming more productive and stuff like that. So uh, that's that's the end of the early modern era here. Uh, that's going to wrap everything up here. When we come back in a couple weeks, uh, we'll be looking at the uh leading into the modern era and the age of revolution when we have the colonies uh starting to break away and we have the industrial revolution and we have a new wave of colonization in africa and asia